This is your coffee break. Hey friends, I am back again this week. I have with me author Jeff Lizowitz, who has recently published the book, Not Effing Around, the no BS guide to getting your creative dreams off the ground. Jeff, welcome to the show. Well, hello, hello, hello. (laughs) I'm so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, man. Um, I want to talk about creativity and getting your dreams off the ground. But before I do that, I would love to hear just a little bit about your story. Sure thing. Well, I have been a creative type my whole life. I was, first of all, the weird kid playing by myself in the corner, making up, you know, distant lands and stories and everything like that. Uh, Then you know, got really into music, declared to my parents I was going to be a rock star. That didn't go over very well, uh, as you might suspect. Uh, Photographer, filmmaker, all this kind of stuff. So I've really been into creativity my whole life and have pursued it and have been, um, you know, successful to some degree and all that stuff. At the same time, I have taken on various roles as a sort of inspirational type. I am currently a songwriting teacher at a college so that's pretty cool. Like, can you believe that's even a job, right? That's amazing. <laughs> so I love that. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm also a life coach, right? Trained as a life coach, do that. And I've done something called, I uh, practice something called NLP or Neuro Linguistic Repatterning, which is a one-on-one counseling, like a, top, a talk therapy kind of thing, where you help people untangle the subconscious blocks that are keeping them down in their life in various ways. So I have these two parts, which is, you know, the creative guy, and then this inspirational part that's all about the healing and the, you know, the, you know, focus and the achievement and all that kind of stuff. So it all kind of came together when one day I started writing this book when I didn't know I was writing it. I went to the coffee shop and as I often do, and sometimes I journal or write poetry or work on a screenplay or whatever. And, you know, this one day I just started writing something. And I was like, you know what? This would be a good idea for a book. <laughs> I ought to write a book. So I ended up writing the book. And now I'm doing workshops around it and webinars and all kinds of stuff like that. And really taking the message even even a little bit further than what I understood it to be when I wrote the book. So in the book, it's a lot of, you know, how do we step forward, get past our fears and doubts and, and achieve our achieve our creative dreams. And that's great. And that's, I'm still, to, of course, totally down for that. But I've recently understood that there's a deeper piece to it. And the deeper piece is that creativity is really a method or a way for us to be seen in the world, expressed as humans, and then ultimately to be healed. And when we do that, and we put those pieces together, and we step out, it is actually a gift to the world. Hmm. Just like all the amazing books and movies and songs and stuff that you've read or heard, that's a gift to you. That's like, I mean, I know for me, those things have changed my life in huge ways, connected and understood the world and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of where I'm at with the whole deal. I love it. I love it. Isn't there something amazing when you start off creating one thing and then you realize that it's sort of morphed into this other thing and you're learning from it? Like that is absolutely one of my favorite things about writing. That's incredible. It's fantastic. 
I, I had a poetry teacher in college who said, you know, you start writing your poem and you think you know what you're writing about. And if you're tapped in and you're truly open in your poet heart, somewhere in that poem, it's going to change to what it's really about. Right. So I do believe that's true, not just with poetry, but any creative project and really almost our lives like as a whole story. Right. Because you think, you know, what you're doing when you're a kid or whatever. I mean, I thought I was going to be a rock star. I was never a rock star. Right. Um, I got little little bites and pieces and stuff here and there. But, you know, now that with this book and all this stuff, I'm seeing like, ooh, the story changed because I am the creative and I am the empowerment type. And this is really my mission, at least for now. And who knows where the story goes in five years or 10 years or whatever. This is a question that maybe relates, I think, not only on the writing level, but also on the life level. What do you do if you see someone who's getting in their own way? Like they have this vision either for their story or for their life, and they're not being open-minded to say like, oh, maybe I should change where this is going. Um, well, first of all, in, in many ways, I would say uh, it, it's, it's rare to see someone who doesn't get in their own way. <laughs> yes, know? I have done that so, many times. Including myself, of course. We do it all day long, you know, and, you know, I think, you know, there's some Rumi quote, you know, Rumi, the, the mystic poet, who says, like, you know, the path to love is just like getting out of your own way. It's like it's already, it's already there, you know, just like your fate, your destiny, your truth, your beauty, everything about you. Is already there if you stop, you know, making a mess of it, <laughs> you know, mostly in your head and then in your actions in the world. So what do I what would I say to somebody who's getting into trouble in that space? I would say, like, the biggest thing for me is you got to step back and you got to, like, meditate on this stuff. Just, like, really step back because we get so wrapped up in our lives that we don't even realize how wrapped up we are. Like for instance, this is this is a little off topic, but this is the metaphor you'll get. You live in the city. I live in Seattle and it's a big city and you know, it's like, okay, it's kind of stressful and all this kind of stuff. But you sort of forget until you go out into the mountains for the weekend. And you're like, oh yeah, it's kind of a huge stress case back there. And the same thing is true in general in our lives. Why am I running around like an idiot all day long doing things I don't want to do when all I want to do is, is spend some time writing? And you prioritize it low, low, low on your list. Well, if you want to be a writer, just put it higher on your list and then do it. I mean, it's like, it's sort of that simple. It sort of is. And, and it's interesting. And I've, I've been thinking about self-sabotage a lot and how we get in our own ways and why we get in our own way. When we find that we're getting in our own way intentionally, like maybe um, deprioritizing our writing time, or maybe when we sit down to write or create, um, we say, well, you know, I should really go get those dishes done. Um, where is that coming from? Oh, geez. Well, I, I feel, I don't know why humans do this, but it seems like we resist the things that we want and need the most. Why? I don't know, really. <laughs> but it, seem, it seems true. And there's a difference between what is important and what is urgent mm. in our lives. And we often move towards what we believe is urgent. So, you know, if your kitchen's a mess, that is some sort of urgency. Oh, God, I got to get that kitchen done before I go to sleep. You know, 
and there's merit to that. Sure, the kitchen is a mess and you do want it to be cleaned up. But perhaps an important task or, or, or piece is spending 15 minutes writing before you clean that up mm-hmm. or after you clean it up for that matter, right? So a couple of uh, months ago, earlier in the spring of this year, I saw a movie called Patterson. You and every writer who listens to this thing, go find it on Netflix or whatever. It's called Patterson. It's about a bus driver in Patterson, New Jersey, who is named Patterson, and he is a poet. So this guy is just this working class guy, and he cruises around on his bus, and he just notices the world. And he's got his little notebook, this little black notebook. Oh, look. Oh, this is a podcast. You guys can't see it. <laughs> well, but, I, have, uh, I have mine right here, too. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So he carries his notebook around, and when he's on his lunch break, when he's got a couple minutes, he just writes down a tiny little poem, like, you know, five, ten liner in there. Done. Doesn't show it to anybody. Nothing. I was so inspired by this. It's so simple, but so huge because all it is is experiencing the world, however you experience it, and making art out of the language, just putting the idea into the thing. Not, I'm going to get published. Not, it's a big deal and I'm going to make a book. Not like, like, it can be total crap. Who cares? But if you do it, I guarantee your heart will just fizzle with awesome. And you just do it every day. I filled up like two of these books already. I just do it every day. And it's, it only takes five minutes. Isn't that amazing? And yet we find excuses and yet we sabotage ourselves and yet we say, I'll do it tomorrow. I love that. I love that you mentioned that. And it is, it's so, it's so simple and it's so worthwhile. I like that you also touched on sort of this roundabout way of discovering what it is we actually want to do and create and write. So I have a project that's going on right now and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to publish a novel. And that was my dream forever and ever and ever. And finally, I just sort of let that go. And I said, I'm just going to work on some other things for a while. And then I started a, a audio drama podcast and it's taken off and it's in front of thousands of listeners and it's really fulfilling to create. And it sort of has lifted this weight off of me for what I initially thought it should be. And so I, I yeah. really, I really appreciate you saying that. That is awesome. So you just sort of took a left turn, started yeah. this drama, this audio drama, and you're you're going, you're going yeah. for it. Yeah. So that's just that's just really lovely. And I just kind of said, I'm gonna just sit down and try this. Just kind of a willingness to sit down and try it. So. That's beautiful. And having that open mind and that willingness to go into perhaps a scary place or at least a different place than you thought you were going opens you up to possibility. And that sort of speaks mm-hmm. to your question before. If, if you're rigid about what you think the world is going to be, you sort of tighten up around it. And what you essentially do is lose everything else. Right? Yeah. Or you set yourself up to be hurt. Right. The holder, I mean, this goes, this kind of goes back to Buddhism. I don't know if we can get into Buddhism and stuff here, but non-attachment, right? Non-attachment to the outcome. Life is suffering if you attach your, your heart, your desires to things. And it's, it's like so simple, but again, so true. So if you can be like, Hey, I'm going to do, you know, the podcast, I'm going to do the audio drama, I'm going to write the novel, I, you know, I'll do it, but I'm not going to, have that grasp on it 
And, you know, maybe it'll be successful in terms of commercially, or maybe it's not. But here's the truth. If you love what you do, doesn't really matter. Absolutely. And do you love what you do? Yeah, I do. Um, I love the creative parts that I do, the music and the writing and all that kind of stuff. I love the actual teaching, you know, and, and talking to you because now the message gets spread over and people get it, you know, out there in the world somewhere. It's not all super happy everything when I've got to deal with, you know, the million details of the business and stuff like that. But, you know, that's part of life too. But again, it's how you frame it. It's like, do I have to do these details for my business or do I get to? I get to do this hassle, task, whatever it happens to be, in service to the next piece, which is spreading the word or doing the workshops or, you know, whatever I'm up to. You know what? I love that you bring that up. I just feel like you're just resonating so much with what I've been going through. So sorry if I'm like taking this in a totally personal direction, but I left my job uh, recently about six months ago to, to write and to sort of do my own thing. And it's very different what you set up these expectations to be versus what they actually are. And I feel Mm -hmm. like this is something maybe a lot of aspiring writers or aspiring creatives uh, have established are these expectations like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and then everything's just going to be beautiful and wonderful and happy. And I'm going to sit in a Starbucks looking important and sipping my latte and the sun is going to be beaming in on my face and I'm going to write the great American novel. And it's really not like that. There are still those um, administrative tasks. There's still a lot of stuff that I don't like dealing with that you kind of have to. So I I appreciate you bringing that up. Well, you know, part of it is, is it pure art or is it business, Mm -hmm. right? If you want to be a songwriter or a novelist or whatever and have no intention and no ambition to do anything except write that book, you're not going to sell it. You're not going to try to get gigs talking about it, whatever. Well, then it kind of keeps it pure or purer anyway, in a way. But as soon as you put that element of commercialism or ambition or, you know, I'm going to get great reviews or anything, it, it does change it. And there's nothing wrong with either of these ways. It, but it does, does change it. Years ago, I played in a band with a guy who was literally the best guitar player ever. Like, I thought this guy was up there with, like, you know, Eric Clapton and, and Jimmy Page and, like, you know, just, like, amazing guitar players. And I was like, I got in the band with this guy and I'm like, dude, we are going to just kill it. Right. And it started to get serious. Like we're trying to, you know, get, get it going. And he's like, you know, this isn't so fun anymore. I I, I quit. <laughs> like, I just want to play. I don't want to make it a big deal. And I, you know, I was like, Oh my God, kidding me. But I understand it now. I didn't understand it then. That's for sure. You talked about one not being like better than the other. Would you uh, sort of call those out as as like professionals and hobbyists or because then I feel like we start to say like, oh, one's better than the other or one's more worthwhile than the other. Well, you know, anytime you make a judgment, you're you're just making a judgment, you know, so everybody's going to make their own judgments about everything as a hobbyist better than a professional and better, better how. Well, (laughs) right. right, Yeah. Right. I mean. The hobbyist, if you want to even call it that, 
I would just call it a writer. I mean, if you write, you're a freaking writer, <laughs> right? Yes. If you're a yes. best-selling author, then you're a best-selling author, and that's cool too. But you're still a writer, you know. And actually, the best-selling author probably isn't doing all that much writing because they're running around promoting the thing all day. There's, there's, there's not best. It's, it's what's good for you, you know. If you're, if you're an ambitious person and you want, you, you really have this need to put it out there in the world. Well, that's part of the art form too. I mean, I look at my business, you know, around my book and workshops and stuff as part of the creativity and art form because it's it hugely is. And I speak to entrepreneurs as well because mm. you need to understand that it is a creative mechanism. If you're not if you're not being creative, good luck. You're not you're not going to get too far. It's who you are and what you want, really. And and that's really key because a lot of people <laughs> that sort of gets gets back to the NLP. We often, NLP is neuro-linguistic repatterning, that, that counseling stuff I was talking about. We often think we want one thing when what we really want is something else, something deeper, right? Why do you want to be a best-selling novelist, I wonder, you know, for myself, for whatever. And I really think it comes back to my, my little points in the beginning to be seen, to be expressed, and to be healed, Right. We just want in this world we're we're so not understood, I think, most people, you know, your friends, your parents, your husband, wife, girlfriend, whatever, they'll listen to you, maybe. And they kind of get it, maybe if you're lucky. <laughs> right. Right. But there's always there's this part of us that just wants to be known. And as a writer, that's something we can do. We can take our time and express as clearly as our skills allow what is going on in us in, in fiction or not, you know, it doesn't even matter really. And that is that expression of who we are. And that is a catharsis. I mean, that's, I mean, that's all the best stuff is always that. I agree with that so much. I love that to be seen and to be healed. I think that a lot of writers don't know that that's what they're what they're searching for, and I think they're surprised by that. And and I think that's also something that gets in the way of, I guess, being truly successful as a writer, if that's how we're defining success. Um, mm -hmm. I, I kind of want to I want to ask you um, about your book, Not Effing Around, and how it sort of takes the reader through getting their creative dreams off the ground. The first part of it talks about discovering what you love and why. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah. So a lot of us, you know, some some people know what they know what they love. You know, I'm a writer. I want to write. Okay, great. And some people are so distanced from their true essence or nature um, because probably it got shot down somewhere in childhood, you know whether it's a creative thing or not. It doesn't have to be creative in any way. You can be an engineer and get shot down by that, although that's, I think, a lot less likely because that's seen by the, you know, the culture is like, oh, well, that's a good job, kid. You know, <laughs> go play with your Legos, you know, or whatever. So, so there's that part, you know, how, how close do we even know? But then the big question is why, okay? And that's sort of what we touched on there. There's a, a really great video, a TED Talk video by a guy called Simon Sinek. And he's talking about marketing. 
what it really does is question why we do things just to go deeper and deeper. So my example on this is if you've got a you're looking for a new dentist, OK, and you interview two dentists and you talk to the first one. The first guy says, well, you know, why do you become a dentist? Well, I was always, you know, kind of good in science. and My dad was a dentist and, um, you know, I figured I could make some pretty good bucks doing it. And, you know, whatever. You're like, OK, great. And then you talk to the other person. And this this woman says, well, you know, when I was a kid, I fell off the jungle gym and bashed four of my front teeth out on the concrete, in a bloody mess. And, and this dentist was so kind and helpful and put my, you know, helped put my face back together. And now I have this beautiful smile. And that's why I became a dentist. That's why. Which one of those are you going to go for, go for? Right? I think pretty much everybody's going to go for the second one. So asking these questions of yourself gets deeper and deeper into who you are and what motivates you. If you don't know what motivates you, you're not acting from your core, from your heart, from your real truth. So I encourage everyone always to ask why. Why did I do this? Why didn't I do this? Why do I want this? And once you have that answer, ask the question again. <laughs> and ask it again and again and again until you get down to your truth. And once you tap into that, you will then be powered by something really real that really matters to you. And if you got that, you're good to go. And the outcome of it is, is just gravy. It's just cake or icing or whatever. All the good things. So, all the good things. All cake, the good gravy, things. and icing. <laughs> yeah. I love the idea of all those together. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love that. And, and, and I've said before on the show, one of the what is the most important question that a writer can ask? And it's why? And it's not mm -hmm. only of their characters, their motivation, um, whatever it is they're writing, but of themselves. And so thank you for talking about that. So we talk about sort of acknowledging that this is why I'm doing this. Uh, this is what I love to do, why I'm doing it. What are some other steps that an aspiring writer or an aspiring artist or an aspiring creative can take to sort of live out their creative dream? Yeah. Well, um, each one of the chapters in the book sort of talks about a, a like kind of a different step. One of them that just popped into my mind first was F the ick. The ick is the inner critic, I see, right? And we all yes. know what the F stands for. So the inner critic is the part of ourselves which is built into us, and for good reason, that says to you, you're not good enough, you stink, who do you think you are, you know, blah, 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 just, just keeps putting you down, just criticizes you and your creative output. Now, if you listen to this voice, it will take you down especially when you're starting, mm -hmm. you know, when you're starting as a writer or whatever. You need to know that that voice is just your fear and insecurity. It is not the truth. And if you listen to it, again, it will stop you in your tracks. It will shut you down. You know, you will, you will stop writing or doing whatever you're doing before you finish the first page. You have to quiet that voice. As you get more advanced in your, or more mature in your creativity, the inner critic actually can be helpful because it can be a driver towards excellence. Mm. What I mean by that is, you know, you write your chapter or whatever, and the inner critic says, hey, 
that's not good enough. That's like, like that stinks. Now you listen for a minute, then you shut it up and you evaluate your writing and you'd be like, you know what? This could be better. There's part of it. This sentence isn't any good. I got, I could get some better verbs in here somewhere. Right. And then you make, you make it better. But the trick is you don't ruminate over what the inner critic says, because it'll just suck you into the dark black whirlpool of crap. And that's hard to get out of. It absolutely is. And I'm smiling and nodding because I've been there. And I've talked to aspiring writers and writers and published writers and unpublished writers today who say, how, how do I shut my inner critic off? Its voice is so loud and it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, I have a little exercise in the book, which I will tell you now. So this comes, uh, this is sort of like a visualization um, also from neuro-linguistic repatterning. You first need to get yourself into a meditative space. So that just means sitting there quietly, you know, taking some deep breaths for a couple minutes, right? And you're going to hear this inner critic. You stink, you stink, you stink. Okay, great. So you visualize in your mind like a big stereo knob, okay? And you just reach out in your mind, and you can do it in the physical world as well, and just tilt it, you know, turn it down, turn it counterclockwise, I guess. And just notice how the inner critic gets quieter and quieter and quieter. And you can turn it up to test it. Oh, now it's shouting at you, you know, you stink, you stink. Okay, turn it off, right? And then from there, you can look at this panel and be like, ooh, I can control other aspects of this voice too. I can make it sound like a little chipmunk if I hit this button. And I can make it slow down if I hit this button. And I can do whatever, all these different things. And you start to realize that you are in control of the voice, not the voice is in control of you. And when that happens as part of an internal process in your in your brain there, you're winning. <laughs> right? You are simply, it's the executive function. It's, it's talking to the parts of you because we're all built of all these different parts. And the inner critic is one of these parts. And if you let that inner critic get, them, get the microphone, that's when you're in trouble. So turn off the microphone, turn it down, whatever. And once you do this as a meditation, you can start to do this as well in your normal life. You're walking down the street and you're like, oh, I did something stupid. Like, no, you know, just turn it down. It's just like, you made a mistake. Okay, fine. Big deal. Extend to yourself some grace. You know, none of us are perfect and we expect ourselves to be and we're not. And, oh, I appreciate that so much. So uh, listeners out there, please give this a try. I know a lot of you struggle with your inner critic, that loud voice that tells you you're no good. Please try this exercise. Um, Even if you don't have maybe a quiet place to do it, just, you know, sit down with the kids and you can all do it together, perhaps. Um, If people are interested in picking up a copy of your book and getting in touch with you, how do they do that? Where do they find you? Uh, Well, the old Amazon.com will sell it to you, I'm sure. Uh, (laughs) But even better, if you come to my website, you can get on my mailing list. And I'll even give you three free chapters of the book. How about that? That sounds amazing. Uh, What a deal. What a guy. Um, and then I've got blog posts coming out all the time. There's tons and tons, uh, of stuff happening on the website with old blog posts and interviews with all kinds of creatives and writers and everybody. And then just upcoming announcements. Like I said, I do online workshops. I'll be starting those up again in January. So 
you can hop on from anywhere in the world on that. Wonderful. And I will have a link to your website in the show notes for today's episode, as well as a link to your book, Not Effing Around. I kind of want to end the show today by asking you um, if you have a favorite piece of advice that you like to share with writers. (laughs) A favorite piece of advice. Well, it's just, you know, it's just do it. Just like if you want to write, just write. Just do it, even if it's five minutes a day, mm-hmm. because a, a lot of the big excuses that I hear, you know, and in myself, too, is there's not enough time. There's not enough time. Right. Well, there is. There is always some time. You just have to prioritize it and then act upon it. So let me just tell you the story quick, yeah, because yeah, yeah. you guys will dig this. So I once knew this woman and she had three kids and a full time job. And a dog, right? And she she was a writer. She wanted to be a writer. But guess what? She barely got any time. Maybe on Sunday afternoon, the husband would take the kids and she'd get a half an hour or, you know, whatever. But basically, nothing was happening. And after a couple of years of this, she's like, I'm sick of it. I want to write. I love my family and all this, and all this but I need to write to keep me sane. So she made a simple change in her life, which was instead of putting the writing on the backest of the back burners, she said, I'm going to sleep a little earlier. I'm waking up an hour earlier. I'm going to have my coffee before all these kids wake up. I'm going to write for half an hour every morning, five days a week. Two years later, novel done. And all it was, I mean, it's, it wasn't a huge shift. It was going to sleep earlier instead of watching some stupid TV show. And it was waking up and doing her thing first instead of last. And she still had all the energy and love to give to her family and husband, whatever. It was just it was just a shift of priorities. And it made it made a huge difference. So it doesn't even have to be that much. It can literally be like, you know, Patterson's notebook. Just write a poem for five freaking minutes. You can't tell me you don't have five minutes. And if you don't have five minutes, you need a major (laughs) readjustment in your life. There's some there's some bigger changes that need to be made there. And you know, that gets back to what you're saying before about urgent and important. And writing is important. So make sure you are prioritizing it every day. Jeff, thank you so much for appearing on the show today. It means a lot. Absolutely. It was great. It was great talking to you and so happy to talk to all your listeners. <laughs>